Hello and welcome to Trying Times, a rugby podcast hosted by two comedians who love a sport that doesn't always love them back. I'm Nia Mai. And I'm Jack Dolan. So, uh, Nia, how have you been today? I've been good, just uh, keeping busy. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I originally finished the, the first half of the Netflix uh, documentary series on Six Nation. You know, you know the one, uh, Full Contact? Yeah, Six Nations Full Contact. I am familiar with it, I believe. Uh, is that what we're planning on talking about today? Yeah, do a little uh, review, at least of the first half of it. Yeah, let's do a first half review of it. Now, full disclosure to our listener, um, I have already watched all of it. I've seen all eight episodes because the day it came out, I decided that I had nothing better to do. So we will be just focusing on episodes one through four. And if you haven't seen it and you want to watch along with us, you've got a you've got plenty of time to do that. Yeah, no spoilers. Yeah. You know, um... No spoilers for a competition that happened a year ago. <laughs> it is a little bit like, I don't know if you saw this, but people were up in arms when uh, Wrexham won the league last year because people are like, stop posting about season two of Wrexham. And you're like, it's a documentary. Yeah. yeah. You can't really spoil it. But uh, Sonia, you've been watching it. You've been watching it these last couple of days. How have you been watching it? Do you sit there and binge these episodes like I did, or do you have your own process? I well, I like to take my time with this kind of uh, shows. Uh, especially, I see them as more like a treat uh, for me. Uh, as at, at the end of the day, I like a good, you know, a good meal with a nice uh, glass of wine or soft drink, whatever. You know, it's just a bit of a, a bit of a me time, a bit of a Netflix and chill. I'm taking back that that phrase, you know. Netflix and chill. You're gonna yeah, have to do yeah, self-care. Self-care. I mean, look, it can be interpreted in one way, and based on what I know about you so far, the idea <laughs> that that would be part of your bracket self-care own brackets are <laughs> wouldn't really uh wouldn't really surprise me all that much. <laughs> I uh I like the idea that you're sitting there and you're picking your meal in my mind now, you're picking your meal. And you're picking like a a complimentary wine based on the episode titles. Yeah, so yeah. you're reading that. So what would be what what was your what was your meal for episode one? Um, I was a like a, a nice uh, a glass of whiskey, you know, dry whiskey. Okay, <laughs> because you know the the, the Scottish uh, connection. Yeah, straight in, no kissing. Go for the hard stuff. Uh, um, yeah, I think whiskey's appropriate. So why don't we, do we want to talk about each individual episode? Do you want to give some overall thoughts? We can, let's. Um, yeah, let's, um, well, I mean, in terms of an overall thought, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just keep it brief. Um, yeah, I think it was an, an, an excellent series in general. It's really well-made, high quality. Yeah, I've, I've liked, I've liked it. I liked what I watched. Um, and I think it starts off particularly strong, I think, with uh, the first episode. But I do think, um, I kind of get a sense when I'm watching it that it's not for me, uh, right. a little bit. Yeah, I kind because it's kind of like for for people who are, I I've read a lot of the discourse online, and to be honest, a lot of it seems to be that like this is that rugby people are incredibly difficult to please because mm. we're so there's so much complaining about, oh, it didn't do X, Y, or Z. And like, well, yeah, because it wasn't set out to do those. I think we expect any kind of rugby media to satisfy 
everything all at once. Yeah. Do you, do you get that sense from it? I would say so. I think there's a few, uh, a fair bit of complaints. Um, but at the same time, you know, like uh, especially when, especially if you're like a hardcore rugby fan, you've been you're being treated to a lot of good, uh, a fair bit of uh, rugby content over the years, and a lot mm. of sometimes and a lot of like especially in the on the British Isles as well, people tend to compare it to uh, the the um, the one made on the Lions tour in 1997, and that was in like yeah. as, as the peak of uh, rugby documentary making. Uh, yeah, I think. Um... Yeah, I, I, I think it, there's always a little bit of a trouble with this because I think some recent documentaries that have done a great job of uh, kind of matching the uh, kind of matching the moment. I think Chasing the Sun, the, uh, the oh, yeah, uh, that, South that Africans one, yeah. winning the World Cup one was quite good. I know that... Um, I don't know. I think this... I liked, I like the idea that they're doing this, though, because I think no matter what your opinions are of rugby or whatever... The Six Nations is such an excellent tournament. It's 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 unique in its in its uh in its kind of its place among the sport. Like it, it's different to everything in the sense it's not knockout. It's not like a long league. It's five matches across seven or eight weeks. Yeah, and um, I think they did. I think they did a really good job with it. I think it's um, the insights that is provided. I think has been really good my only thing about it is it feels like i was thinking about this the other day and my only real critique of it is that the way the actual rugby is edited like the 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 sport it feels like they're editing it in the same way that you would edit an nfl clip in the sense that it's kind of like like interactive moment of player gets ball player is about to do something insane yeah. And we've already seen it because it was t- a year ago. So I have an I- we have an idea of what clip it is. And it goes, player, crowd, player, crowd, coach, scoreboard, yeah. player, crowd. Yeah. And, uh, and I think of, that works. Yeah, and a lot of but, emphasis on uh, on the slow-mo as well. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I like the, 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 con- the, the, the contact, just the emphasis, because to emphasize the, the contact nature of the, of the game, the the aggression, the aggression and all of that. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a thing. That's why I think it's not built for me because it's built for the casual fan and it's to show them an insight to the game that they wouldn't know otherwise. Yeah. But I did really like, I read a lot of criticism of it online and I think it's, to be honest, I think a lot of the criticism is bollocks. Mm. Uh, most sports documentaries are going to be, you know, they're, they're going to have a narrative structure. They're going to have a kind of, a, a um. I mean, it's very, it's, it's full of cliches anyway because sports is thank always you. Full, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Sports full of full cliches. cliches. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. I think overall, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a pretty decent, well packaged product.
So do we want to go through episodes one through four individually and then talk about them? Yeah, sounds good, yeah. So the first episode follows the Calcutta Cup, which is the match between Scotland and England. It is the oldest international rugby match that is in the world. Yeah. With the first game taking place, I don't know. You, Whoever is listening to this, uh, you can probably find Google on the same device you're uh, using think, to listen to this. Yeah, I think yeah, it, was, it was probably between 1882, 1883. Yeah. There we go. Nia with the Nia dropping these hard facts again. So what uh, did you think of that first history episode? degree, bro? History uh, degree. <laughs> only time I can get I can use them. Um <laughs> oh, education is fun. Yeah, like uh, yeah, Calcutta Cup, uh, probably the oldest uh, international rugby uh, rivalry uh, in the world. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, it's just the, the the insight into the uh, the Scottish camp and also, it's just the yeah. uh, they have to focus on uh, the uh, burgeoning bromance between uh, uh, Coach Craig uh, Townsend and Finn Russells. I loved that because for those of you who are new to rugby, Gregor Townsend and Finn Russell have spent the better part of the last four years in, in a, like what could only be described as a bit of a love-hate relationship where yeah. uh, they... Gregor Townsend played quite like Finn Russell back when he used to play in the uh, late 90s. And seems to hate Finn Russell for that reason. And Finn Russell doesn't like having to do a lot of structure. He likes to play the game as he sees it. So yeah. the two of them are at odds. Mm. Um, so putting them both on camera was just to start off the thing was genius. I thought it was a brilliant. I thought it was a brilliant uh, editorial move. Yeah, yeah. It did feel like I was watching a rom com. You know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, yeah, uh, will they, will they, won't they, you know, there's uh, two people who are artists uh, at, at each other. And then, you know, suddenly they got to, uh, they hook up with each other and then, you know, they, they, uh, they yeah. break up, they break up and they, and then they make up, uh, sort of, mm. sort of vibe. Yeah. Almost, you know, and, uh, there's like, they're, they're sort of like mirror images of each other as well. Yeah. I thought they were, um, I, I, to be honest, I think Finn Russell is the, st- like of the first episode, what an absolute star he was yeah. like they are kind of mirrors of each other but i just think finn russell does so much with it uh i love that the sporting community is getting their knickers in a twist because he compared himself to leo messi like that makes me <laughs> that makes me so happy i loved it like i got a text i got a text from my aunt saying i've just started watching the six nations show and this finn russell guy he seems really rude and i was like no he's not he's just he's just Be himself yeah. yeah, he's just a cheeky lad. He's just, oh, I love it. He kind of, um, we talked about this with, with uh, Owen Collins, uh, a fellow comedian, and we were just talking about how much that shit eater grin after he does something that's, uh, it's just wonderful. If you got fired that as an opposition, you'd lose your mind. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I just, uh, I love Finn Russell, man. Yeah, he just, he's, he's such a character and he had a, Sort of, and he all has a sort of like uh, unconventional background as well compared to yeah. a lot of the uh, traditional Scottish rugby players, you know. And you know, because he used to work as a, uh, I think he used to work as a, as a as a builder. Some did he? I think yeah, yeah. No, like he, he worked in construction. Um, like he didn't go to private school and all. All of that's got like a very typical Scottish uh, rugby uh, upbringing. Um, yeah. But as a, that really stood him out from 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 the crowd, from the team, from from most of his teammates. Yeah, uh, 
And at the same time, because like uh, I remember in those in those like really rocky years between him and and Craig as well. Not even that because like he uh, because he 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 blew up like around at uh, from around twenty fourteen onwards. Uh huh. Twenty fourteen onwards, and you know he had his a very effective he formed very effective partnership with uh, Craig Laidlaw, you know one of the legends of uh, uh Scottish rugby, and they were like the yin and yang of uh, Scottish rugby for a while. Yeah. Just the nine before, and ten combination. Yeah. Yeah, just before um, Craig and Townsend took over him. Because he was playing pretty well under Vern Carter and and Lay and because Craig Laylaw was doing most of the goal kicking anyway, um, mm-hmm. and then suddenly like you know Craig and then suddenly Craig uh, had to retire, and and now he's just like this revolving doors of like uh, halfbacks uh, partners as well. So it's not so you don't have anything like really consistent. Uh, obviously these days it's Ben White who's taking over the, the nine shirt, yeah, and then Horn off the bench usually. Yeah. So the yeah the scrum half thing. I do think, um, I think Russell's is kind of, I don't really, I think he's become so important to Scotland that it doesn't really matter who's next to him. And I think you can kind of, you can kind of see his importance in that, that first episode. I think it just shows, I found it really interesting, right? Because they show that game and they break it down into clips. And if I remember correctly, he had a pretty poor game. Yeah. But he, uh, it just shows you the Finn Russell of it all because he had a bad game, but he, every big moment, he's involved in and he just when Scotland I think it was a perfect example of the Scottish team when Scotland go well Finn Russell's going well you know yeah um, what did you make of the interview with uh, Marcus Smith do you think well, how do you think he um, came across I don't know like, um, I like Marcus uh, you know he's definitely the future of uh, England rugby um, but at the same, I think he came out came out, uh, came out as pretty bland anyway like it was, there was yeah, no, I... no real uh, edge to his character, almost in a way. Besides the nope. the whole um, him having the boxers with the shape of his uh, his uh, his two uh, countries of origin, you know, the Philippines and Eng- England. So I thought it was an interesting take. Um, yeah, but other than so that, he, did, he didn't offer much. That's another thing I will say. So as a little caveat to what we're currently talking about, there are more arses in this show than I was expecting. Um. So look, if you're if you're looking for a little treat of the eyes, look no further. But um, yeah, I don't know. Do you know what I think the issue is with Mark with, with Marcus Smith in this instance? Is it's kind of like following somebody on stage who's just you know when you're in a lineup and the person before you has just fucking destroyed, and you're like, <laughs> this is gonna this is gonna be great and then they leave the stage and you think it's gonna be great because the stage is really warm and then they're just sad that that person has left and you're like oh oh yeah. they don't they don't want me up here now yeah yeah um and that's good do I you thought, blame uh, the the narrator the, the producer uh or did you blame marcus that's the thing is it's like a comedy show do you blame the actor <laughs> or, or, or the or whoever's emceeing uh, the show is is often the, the mc's duty to warm up the crowd again well, I mean, uh, <laughs> the 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 um the stereotype with comedy. I wonder if we can stretch this to rugby. The stereotype with comedy is there's no bad audiences, there's just bad acts, and every comedian will tell you there are bad audiences. Um, so I guess on that front, maybe Marcus Smith could go. Eh, they could have done a bit more for me in the editing, but I also think that uh. Yeah. No, I think he was just monstered by Finn Russell because Finn Russell was just 
Mm. The clips, like he was just excellent. The clips of him training where he clearly could not give a fuck were yeah. wonderful. Like the, the, the and then to, you, you saw that switch so quickly where he went from, I don't care about doing this physical stuff to organizing the attack. And he's like, oh, I'm all in on this. Yeah. I've got all this. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think it's just a really good showcase of the, 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 the two opposing uh, stereotypes of you know Scotland and England in a way the, the way you imagine where you mm. the way you would imagine a, a Scot a Scottish rugby player versus an English rugby player. Yeah. So, um and that show that, that came up uh, pretty well like you, you, this oh yeah, yeah. Scottish, Scottish rugby players are like this and English players are, are like uh, are like that. Yeah that's a good point. I, I they're kind of the, the English ones are a bit stiffer. Yeah. Stiffer. And I think we saw that yeah and uh, a kind of the stereotype of English rugby is it is a bit stiff. It's a bit stiff and a bit proper. Mm. Um, so I guess this is, I brought it up earlier, but I think the only other thought I had with this is the, the Duhan van der Merwe try oh, yeah. was, uh, they just, they butchered it. Yeah, They yeah, butchered yeah. it. It's kind of like they show it because they show it. I think you can do that. You can show it at the, 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 the highly edited version, right? I think that's perfect. And then show yeah. a replay of it in real time, the way he actually carried it, because the actual footage from it is mm. like that try was stunning. And I don't think it comes across. Yeah. So I would I have loved to hear, hear from uh, Do uh, Mr. Dohan. Uh, Dewey, the big, yeah. He's, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Imagine like if you're like a casual fan, you don't know that the players, right? So you imagine mm. Scottish player, he has, they all sound like Finn Russell's, and suddenly you have Duhan mm -hmm. coming over. Yeah, I, I think that the game was really good. It was very physical. <laughs> the South African the, accent, what? Well, I think that kind of brings us in comfortably into episode two, which was Italy taking on uh, England. England. Yeah. And I'll tell you this right now I had no idea that the character, sorry, the character, the player for Italy, their uh, back rower, Sebastian Negri, I had no clue. That he was, when he came out with that kind of like, uh, is he Zimbabwe? Is he Namibia? Is he uh, Zimbabwe? Africa? Zimbabwe, yeah. But they kind of, he's got that like Afrikaans, like he's very like, hey, bro, like, here we go. And okay. I, it caught me entirely off guard. I was mm. expecting like, you know, when you're gearing up and you're like, okay, subtitles are coming. We're going to be ready. Yeah. And he sounded like that. I thought I was being had, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i know i, I was uh um i was already familiar with uh sebastian's um uh background because i also watched sort of like a another documentary on italian rugby uh basically the uh the first game they had they, uh, they play against uh the Alba after after COVID, the first game they played uh, after COVID under the new coach uh, Kieran Crowley, so they did a fair yeah. bit, a fair bit on uh, Sebastian, um, and he talked about his whole whole life story growing up in Zimbabwe and leaving to uh, to go to Italy and all of that. Yeah, that was a real baffling bit of like international politics that I wasn't expecting. The kind of the uh, removal of uh white zimbabweans from their land in the 80s was not yeah. something i was expecting to learn um, about well, it, it was the, the, the 2000 it was the 2000s um he moved in the 2000s was he in 2000 oh. yeah so uh, because he was born in 1993 so he would have been around yeah six what or am seven. i saying 
The history degree has once again saved the pod because Jesus, my interpretation of time is just shocking. Because he's, he come from the same stock as like um, the likes of like uh, David Pocock. Yeah, who plays the who plays the used to play for Australia. So he was he's also Zimbabwean, and you know they, and he was part of that exodus from the that white exodus from from Zimbabwe as a result of the whole uh, land reform policy under yeah. Mugabe. Oh yeah, like I I knew I knew that um like Pocock Pocock I was aware of I wasn't aware of uh, Sebastian Negri. Um, what did you think? How did you think he came across? I think he came across for quite sincere. Um, and he, you can you can see uh, like he's very passionate uh, about uh, playing uh, for Italy, giving it all. Um, and you know also like I think the dynamic between him and his partner was also quite good as well. Um, like they... yeah, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was kind of um a really brilliant bit of humanization because I think definitely when you're watching it at home or something, you forget that these are people a lot of the time. Yeah. And also at the same time, like um, also I think he's a bit underrated as a player um, because of, obviously for the casual rugby fan, you wouldn't know who Sebastian Negri is and you always wonder why he's still getting picked. You know, because when yeah. people, people, when people picture Italian rugby, they, they picture somebody like uh, Sergio Parise, you know, like, yeah. And um, they kind of, yeah, they're kind of you know they're basically the the ultimate uh, symbol of Italian rugby. Um, at the same time, mm-hmm. and also in a new setup as well, he's often overshadowed by more glamorous players like people like the, the captain Lamaro and all those. Um, yeah. But you could you could see in documentary why he's why he, he's always uh, why he's, he always get he he why he's always a starting player, and in terms yeah, of the, I the, think things, so, yeah. the thing the thing he does on the field. Yeah, I found this episode fascinating for um, that sense. I thought that, um, I th- again, I thought there was one person who stole the show, and I think it was uh, Kieran Crowley, the coach of the Italian team. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert for those going forward. He is the star of every scene in this thing. He is the by far and away the most interesting character, in my opinion, of everything, because he comes at this from the history of Italian rugby in the six nations of the past 10 years, 20 years probably is just mediocrity to below mediocre performances Hmm. and the frustration of dealing with that and kind of trying to get, yeah, trying to get them back up to where he believes they could and the energy and the emphasis they put into the Italian setup. Yeah. And it's constantly, and it's constantly over constantly uh, coming up against its own shortcomings. Like the the background context for this episode is that the, the the last game of the Six Nations in 2022, Italy pulled off the miraculous upset and yeah. they beat Wales at home. And I think this episode, just the frustrations of coaching Italy and being mm. this you know rugby man who's trying his darndest to win a game, is fascinating. I thought. Yeah, definitely. I think also he didn't. Um, you know, he's 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 sort of an old like an old school type of coach. Um, yeah, big time. Big, time. and also he has that typical like dry Kiwi humor as well. So, so it comes. Uh, so you know, you could uh, you could send this a lot of uh, the, the sarcasm whenever he speaks. And uh, I I do feel sorry for the Italian players uh, who has to pick up. Uh, has to learn how to pick up on that. Um. But at the same time, you know, like he, it's not like he just came in like out from 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 out of the blue, like you know, if yeah. um, 
uh, especially speaking, uh, you know anything about Kieran Crowley? He spent like at least five seasons with Benetton before he got the Italian job, and he took them to like new heights as well. Like that. And and that trans- yeah, they want to. They won the Rainbow Shield or whatever it was. Yeah, one of one of one of those, and they were they also made like a few playoffs uh, before that as well, and they were performing pretty yeah. well, like going up against a like, more glamorous for people teams like Leinster, the, the Irish provinces, and all of that. Hmm. Yeah, I think he was. I th- I think for me, he's my favorite character. I was mesmerized when he was on the screen. Yeah, and, what, uh, what a man! I think then we have to switch over to the other half of this episode, which was Ellis Genge. Ellis Genge, the front row for England, is interviewed at length. And he's a really interesting character because he doesn't fit your expectation of an English rugby player. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's, like he came from uh, more of a uh, um, working class background, you know, which is very rare for an English or England, England international. Yeah, in particular, like we... We see a lot of classism in Irish rugby, but I don't think we have any understanding of how much more entrenched it is in the English system. Yeah, no, the English are the OG of that. So. They do love their class. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I like uh, Ellis Gange as well because he, all, and you know, you know, one of his nicknames is uh, is the Baby Rhino. Yeah, oh, the Baby Rhino. I this nickname, it's it's beautiful in a way because you're just like it is. It's very descriptive. He's not a tall guy. He does not seem to stop running. Yeah. And he seems to be quite like an actual rhino. Very easy to piss off. Like, yeah, Pretty much very hot-headed as well. You don't want to be uh, near him in a rock or in a scrum. And it's also the way he speaks as well. Like, you know, you could say you know, he's from uh, he's from a very tough background. Um, and at the same <laughs> yeah. time, he does. He, he um, And he, he always feels like he never belongs. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I thought that was really interesting because I've heard Irish players talk about that in the past. In um, Keith Earls mentioned in his book that he didn't, he was so embarrassed because he didn't understand how the cutlery worked in when he was brought to the Shelburne or one of the after dinner functions for after one of his first Leinster games, and just this sense of not belonging and the impact it has on you in terms of those setups, like yeah. it's fascinating to see. In um, and I thought he was really honest about it. Yeah. Gage. Yeah, he's very, very, um, yeah, he's very straightforward, very direct. Um, but maybe that's why he's in the front, in the front row, you know. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, but he's, uh, yeah, so I mean, he's sort of the characters that uh, often England rugby has lacked in uh, in in recent years. You know that uh, the 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 type that uh, that won them a World Cup in two thousand, won them both a Grand Slam and a World Cup two thousand three. That type of characters yeah. who came from uh, kind of tenacious. And uh, combat, uh, tenacious and combative, you know, like combative. Kind of... That sort of that, that the character that has to, that sort of dark in him, you know, they're, yeah. they're willing to, to go uh, go for go go at it uh, to the full. Um, yeah, because like even uh, I remember reading a stat somewhere is that uh, the number of players in the England setup who has gone to private school has increased significantly significantly since two thousand and three. Like there were more, there were more okay. players in 2003. There were more players who went to uh, um, who went to state school uh, than yeah. than 20 years later than 20 years later, which is uh, pretty shocking. Yeah, I think it's like most things in rugby. It is there is a movement away from the club game in a lot of places towards the school game because there is uh, 
it's it's easier to structure if you're doing it out of the school. Like the kids are already there. Yeah. You can kind of make sure that they're training enough. You can make sure that they're keeping on top of their other stuff, like their homework or what have you. And you can also make sure that they're eating right. So I think that that movement isn't super surprising. But I guess I guess when you see Genj coming from outside of it, like it does offer great uh, contrast. Yeah, like I think it really the the, the first episode really showcased the uh, essentially the difference between uh, Scottish and uh, English rugby. But yeah, I th- I would say that. Um, oh. oh yeah, and yeah, in terms of England rugby, um, yeah, Ellis Genj is is, uh, is one of the true characters of. Uh, of the of the England yeah. team, and uh, definitely he needs to be highlighted more just to show at least some sort of diversity within the uh, England setup. Yeah, I think so too. I think um, I don't think anyone in the across the entire first four episodes comes across badly, but I do think Genge is probably the most surprising. He's the most yeah. different to what I was expecting. I don't know. I I um I liked I liked it. Also, I, I the start of the episode was fantastic, where he invites his mate over to help him with the shed, and then refuses to help him with the shed. Is just a really bizarre little detail. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think Genge is. I was. You're kind of thrown. You're kind of always caught aback with how thoughtful all these people are. I think Genge offered so much, like massive vul- vulnerability in a way that again for a guy who is the baby rhino who doesn't stop running, you kind of wouldn't expect. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I think he's, uh, he has a bright future ahead of him as well. Um, and he's, he's, who do well as one of the yeah. leaders. He's going to be part of the leadership group. Yeah. After episode two, and we move into episode three. The Spectre at the Feast arrives, which is uh, the team that has little to no airtime beforehand and will, again, spoiler alert, have probably the least airtime of all the teams, Ireland arrive. And yeah. this isn't, again, I will say, as as uh, as anyone who knows me will be able to tell, I have a rampant Irish bias, but the reason that Ireland don't feature as much is entirely our own bloody fault. You know, Mm, Uh, Ireland refused to give as much access as other teams to the Six Nations full contact team as a means of keeping themselves secret and separate from the noise on their journey to win the World Cup. Yeah. Considering that Ireland have, you know, since won the World Cup, that was a good decision. (laughs) (laughs) So episode three. Nia, what were your thoughts on episode three, which focused on Ireland taking on France? Um, well, I mean, like you, you know how you say you have a, a rampant Irish bias. Yes, I have a, I have a rampant French bias, uh, and uh, I. So this is the real. Uh, it's the first clash. First clash of the break. podcast. Pretty much, yeah. I like. Well, the thing is that well, the French didn't show up too much in in that particular episode. Um, but I do like the way I have always been a fan of uh, French coach uh, Fabien Gaultier. I just love the way he looks and the way he talks, the way he says things. You know, it, it's not rugby. It's more, it's more art and uh, it's more uh, philosophy. Philosophy. Anyway, it's very I, French. Yeah, he really is. He 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 seems. 
Oh, you're right. Fabian Gauthier looks like somebody who uh, rugby is an imposition to him sitting outside a cafe and drinking, you know, a little espresso. Yeah, Uh, rugby is life. Rugby is life. I don't know. I love his commitment to those glasses, I have to say. Uh, they are, no one no one could possibly need like frames that are like, like lenses that are that thick, but the, his commitment to those frames have made him the most recognizable French manager, I think, in any sport. Yeah, definitely. And also he pulls it off, so you can't complain. He's French. Of course he can pull it off. The French can get away with anything. <laughs> They've got that natural. They've got that natural je ne sais quoi that they can get away with uh, what would otherwise be glaring fashion faux pas. Like if you dressed, if you dressed like a stylish Parisian in Cork, you would be fucking decimated. <laughs> Here's a question for you: What did you think of the framing of the episode? Um, I think it was. Um, I think it was a bit of a, just a bit of a letdown compared to the first two, in a way, yeah. because of the the close nature of the the Irish camp, and mm. also the the lack of uh, lack of contribution from the the French players, uh, with the exception of uh, uh, with the exception of Gautier. Um, at the same time, the that episode. Sorry. Is Dupont not featured in that episode? Oh yeah, he, yeah, I think yeah he did, but I think he was just very. Uh, he also came across quite bland uh, in a way. He didn't showcase too much uh, because you if you know anything about Dupont, he's very. Uh, I think he's sort of like he's very humble and you know he's he's very soft spoken. Uh, yeah. as, as a person, so, he, so and he's quite shy. As well. So du- yeah, Dupont was the French captain who won the Grand Slam the year beforehand. The like he is the best player in the world, and to be honest, I'm glad he's a bit bland because you can't, you shouldn't be allowed to have it all. All right, he's kind of when you've been <laughs> when your sporting prowess is being kissed by God, you don't get to have a personality as well. That's not how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I love how they showcase uh, one of uh, one of his like celebrity appearances where he just where he was at an opening of a wax museum. He was like, he's just uh... that's the strangest thing in the world. Yeah, it's a beautiful little detail. He's standing it's over. Like a... This is why I'm the best players in the world. I can pay, pay good. I can pay good bucks for these. I just he's he's at yeah he's standing over himself, and he quite rightfully points out how fucking weird it is. Like another caveat: what is the point of a wax museum? Like, I I have never understood it for one second. I want to stand next to some, but next to a block of wax that doesn't smell like you know. It's not like scented wax where it's nice. It's no, it's just wax that looks like a fucking person. I don't understand it. <laughs> Look, I think the French can pull up anything, you know. <laughs> Even uh, wax figures. <laughs> I um, yep. I I concede your point. Uh, the French can pull up anything, except for yeah, a yeah. win in this episode. Except for a win. Boom! So, roasted. Oh, I'm 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 sharp today. Again, another another standout uh, that will be really s- surprising for a lot, of, a lot, an awful lot of non-Irish people, or uh, probably won't have that much of a familiarity with Andrew Porter. But I've seen Andrew Porter interviewed over the years, and he is just ridiculously candid. Like he's mm. a really, he's, he seems like a genuinely lovely fella. He seems yeah. gone through an awful lot in his life. Uh, my friend. 
played in the wedding band at his wedding and he was apparently lovely to the band. Uh, that's a bit of trivia for no one in particular. Um, this is also very Irish trivia. Yeah, my friend. Yeah. Uh, my friend who knows this person, who knows this person, who knows this person, who knows this person, who went to school to this person, who married to this person, who is the cousin of this person. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, very... It's a very... Same club. We both played for we both played for old Wesley. I don't remember him. I don't think we were anywhere near the same level, considering he is currently getting ready to play France on Friday evening, and I am sat in a living room with a borrowed microphone. You're talking to a Vietnamese guy in in North Dublin. Listen, we're not here to question our own life decisions. Let's pull back from this existential <laughs> doom, uh, existentialism doom. Um, yeah, also very French, uh, existentialism. Let's get some Jean Paul Sartre on. Like, let's start talking about the cafe. Man. Sorry. Um, yeah, I thought, yeah, like, uh, I, I do enjoy Andrew Porter. Um, like, I, I knew I didn't know too much about him uh, before the before this episode because a lot of the, you look at the front row, the Irish front row, a lot of the a lot of the coverage has always been on like Tack Furlong. Yeah, absolutely. As the character as the character, the character of the Irish front row. And not much has been on. Not much has been talked about uh, in regards to uh, Anthropo, except that he looks like a Viking. Uh, he looks scary. Yeah, I think so. I think he always gets that uh, rep, and it was good to hear from him. I think because I he just had a lot to say. I found the framing of that episode a little weird because I, I guess it's because they had Andrew Porter that they really wanted to take that as a thing. But framing it as a front row battle between himself and Antonio. I I didn't really understand that too much, to be honest. I thought um, there were so many other narratives at play that you could have chosen. Kind of the one versus two in the world was a very um, was yeah. a compelling one. I think Johnny Sexton. I think uh, the Dupont stuff. The the revenge narrative I liked because it has been a couple of years since mm. Ireland have gotten one over against France, and yeah. I just thought I so I was actually at that game that was referred to and it was just incredible. Beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Stuff of class, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, ginormous stuff. It was excellent. And I guess um then we move on from that to episode four. So episode four is the return of Warren Gatland getting ready yeah. for a uh, getting ready for a match with England. Let me start with let's start with this. Are you a Warren Gatland fan? Uh, I like Warren Gatland. Yeah, I still remember for, because the first Six Nation that I started following was 2013, and that's when uh, well he was at at the highest. His, at the height of, at the height of his power you know like uh, yeah you know he he, he got a, he has a successful runs uh, he was well liked uh, basically he was uh, adored religiously by the uh, the welsh public you know i think um, they've named a gate after him which is um, gatlin warren gatlin yeah genuinely <laughs> um yeah he's an interesting character cuz he's very divisive over here for reasons he doesn't really deserve but I will say where he lost me in terms of uh where he lost me in terms of his style of play was the 
Lions tour that should never have been in 2021. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Behind closed doors to South Africa. That was a crime against anyone who had to watch it. But uh, it was interesting to see him back because for his own little narrative in it, he had left Wales rugby on a real high. He had left yeah. on a real high. They had some intern success. They The, the interim coach was a guy called uh, Wayne Pivak, who had yeah, one season. Kiwi se- guy, yeah. Another Kiwi, yeah. And they uh, they had one season of success, and then they had one season of, one or two seasons of pretty dour stuff. So Gatlin comes back with the great rescue mission set up before the World Cup. And um, yeah, I don't know. There was so they kind of the focus of the episode seemed to be on him, on Luis Rizamis, or was he in a later one? I think he was in it as well. Like uh, yeah, Luis, the starch. It, it was an all Welsh episode essentially. Yeah, it was getting it was getting to know the Welsh and Dan Bigger, and I think Dan Bigger was. Yeah, let let's hear uh, let's hear your thoughts. What do you, what do you think of the episode? Um, I think yeah, it was a good episode in general but obviously it didn't really match up to uh the the, the previous uh ones um i guess because like there was so much shit going on in uh, in the welsh setup that uh it was hard to get any uh juicy stuff out of it and you know they there was sort of that uh controversy re- regarding uh you know how much uh, how much inside access did uh gallon allow uh, yeah into the the whole uh in, in, into the into the welsh uh setup and, yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was uh, with the um, with the salary negotiations being the biggest talking point from that game. I do think it was uh, an interesting episode, a very difficult one that I thought they really did a good job of. Because yeah, you remember watching that game last year, the England Wales. Oh yeah, game. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a very forgettable game, but uh, yeah, I did enjoy it. Utterly, <laughs> the, the utterly atrocious match of rugby. I. I, I was like, I we are a rugby pod. I couldn't stand by that episode. What they did to edit it that, everything I say about their edits in future in future uh, conversations, I'll have to say, they made that game watchable. I was really happy with what they did there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We forgot that game happened. They they made it good. They they took out all of the other stuff. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, I do think that, uh, unfortunately, Wales do become somewhat forgettable in this series uh, so far anyway because the first yeah. episode their first match isn't covered uh, their second match which we kind of glossed over I think was against Scotland oh yeah and they uh, lost to a fantastic Finn Russell performance um, yeah and it became just yeah they just their story was kind of on a downward trajectory, whereas the rest of the teams kind of had a an upward trajectory. Yeah. Like Ireland and France were both compelling, but not very involved in the series up to episode four. Uh, England are trying to re- rediscover who they are, and Scotland are on the up, and Italy are just... I just find them the most compelling, like the basket case that is Italy Italian rugby in this in this uh, in this series because they are just the kings of almost in this series, I think. Yeah, what ifs, yeah. Yeah. So we're at the halfway point of the series, and you actually, have you've not watched any further. I, I watched episode five, but I'm saving it at least for the second part, for the second part of this episode. Um, yes. 
So I'll just I'll go, I'm going I'm going to start watching the, the second half. So finish five and then six, seven, eight. Perfect. Okay. So what do you think uh, of the? We will of course be coming back to you with a second half uh, in the coming days, weeks, and months. Um, what did you think of it? The the narrative of it so far. Like, what are your what are your big takeaways at the halfway point? Yeah, I think uh, the the show did a really good job, at least in the first half, of like showcasing the the various characters that uh, that inhabits uh, our game uh, in general, also and this year and last year Six Nation in particular. Yeah. Um, like you know, you you got to see more. Uh, you got more of a insider access to people like uh, the likes of like uh, Alice Gange and Andrew Porter, Sebastian Nagri. So they were the the, the real heroes. Um, yeah. Uh, of the of, uh, of the first half for me so uh so far um i guess there was a, the biggest disappointment was, was probably the uh iron and, and french uh the irish and french one um simply yeah. because of the the lack of access to, to to the irish camp compared to the other compared to the other teams um but at the same time it, it was really engaging i really enjoyed the cinematography uh, uh in all of the episode uh, on the episode it made rugby as a it really depicts uh, rugby as a really compelling game for like uh, colorful character, for colorful characters, for for intensity and uh, and passion. And this is what you really expect from a rugby rugby documentary, anyway. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they really do show it as a kind of a competitive and quite close game. And I think they show that the uh, the stakes going into the halfway point it's pretty much it's open for everyone. I think, which is great. Uh, at yeah. this stage, every team can win, and uh, every team can lose. And I mean, look, if you've not seen it and you're somehow listening to this, thank you, uh, mum. And uh, if you um, if you haven't heard the results so far, I mean, look, it was last year's tournament, so like we do have an idea of what's going to happen. But I do think the way they've structured it for people who aren't uh, fans yeah. of rugby, I think, is really compelling. And I'd also, yeah, I'd love to. You go ahead. I do, I do compare watching. Uh, I do think watching the series is like watching the film Titanic. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's based on real events, and you you already know what's going to happen anyway, but you still watch it for the ride. I'm just trying to figure out who Jack and Rose are in this, <laughs> like. Gregor Townsend and and Finn and Finn Russell and Gregor Townsend. <laughs> Our Jack and Rose. Okay, that is as that's a brilliant, beautiful place for which we can leave it. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you haven't already followed us, liked us, or reviewed us, please do. We're needy. Uh, yeah, we will see you for part two, the final four episodes of Six Nations Full Contact. And don't forget, never stop trying. Never stop.